That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Democrats win the House of Representatives, as Joe Biden would say. This is a big fucking deal. Hey, what do you say, everybody? It is the Bill Press Show here on a great big Wednesday, November 7. The morning after, yes, indeed, we didn't win everything, but there were a lot of good hot spots last night, a lot of good news, and especially with Democrats taking back control of the House, which means... That's the first big step to our goal of Trump must go. We've been saying that for uh, a couple of weeks now, the first about a month since the book came out. First step in Trump must go is Democrats taking back control of the House of Representatives. It was done last night. You've got to say it was done under the leadership of Nancy Pelosi uh, and a host of great candidates for the House state uh, nationwide in just about every state and some um, big flips of Republican seats to Democratic seats. Uh, sadly, did not take back the Senate. Sadly, we lost uh, a couple of good friends in the Senate. And sadly, some of the brightest stars of the night uh, for governor or for Senate didn't make it. Uh, but overall, still lots, lots Democrats can be proud of and uh, and celebrate. We're going to take you through all the big Senate, pardon me, Senate races, House races, and governor's races today. Hear from some of the candidates who won, who lost. Uh, the chairman of the California, California, of the National Democratic Party, the, Nas- the Democratic National Committee, Tom Perez, will be joining us here later in the program. And, of course, all of you, our favorite guests and our most important guests, send us your comments on what you think about what we saw last night all day yesterday, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. So you ready? Dive right in, but first... Welcome, this Peter Rockburn, back. Court Hello, press. Peter. Yes, indeed. Hello, Bill. Just a couple of other Ray stories. Ray Rogers did a great job while you were gone. I'm sure. Gotta be I'm careful sure. There. Watch out. 
I had to come back. Hear the right? footsteps and back. Yeah, exactly. Yes, right. Well, here are all the really important stories today. I know that yes. all this election talk. We'll get to that. But here's the most important story. Like, what is the heaviest? fattest state in America. Wallet Hub oh. created a ranking based on three factors, obesity and overweight prevalence, health consequences, and food and fitness. So the heaviest state in America is... Rhode Island. Rhode Island, I'm sorry, is not even in the top ten. Oh, all right. Okay. Number one is... Um, Mississippi. Mississippi. You it? got it. Mississippi is number one. I, you're going to see a trend in the top ten. Mississippi, West Virginia, Arkansas, Kentucky, Tennessee, Louisiana, Alabama, South Carolina, Oklahoma, and Texas. That oh. is the top ten. You know what? That's also fast food country, right? Fast food country and heavy, yeah. very heavy food country. Yeah. Having huh. just spent some time in Louisiana, I yeah. can tell you that I can see why they're number six on the list. I know she gained a few pounds while we were down there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Also, yesterday, uh, People Magazine announced the sexiest man alive, Bill. Once again, is I'm sorry. Right? Oh, no. You came in second place <laughs> this year. Idris Elba, actress, uh, actor Idris Elba, who has been rumored to possibly play uh, James Bond in the future. Yeah, Although yeah. it's not done yet. It has no announcement that's been made of whether he will or will not. But uh, he was named People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive. Sorry, Bill. Yeah, I thought, you know, like Brad Pitt or who's, who's been in the past? I don't know. I, you know, I... I yeah. It's, a, it's, it's a whole range of people, usually. You mean Barack Obama is not the sexiest man? I'm sorry, Bill. By the way, one other thing that uh, is, is um, worth pointing out, uh, China is set to become the world's number one travel destination by 2030. More and more people are traveling to China, and China has embraced it. A new study coming out uh, in the, at an industry conference in London saying that there will be 1.4 billion trips made in 2018. That is up 5% from last year, and more and more people are going. Wow. Uh, I wonder what the tariffs are going to do. That, that Oh, made, good point. Yeah, you good know, point. The tariff war could change that. This is the Bill Press Show. Democrats take back the House, as Joe Biden would say. That's a BFD. Yes, indeed. A big deal. A big, you know what, deal. Hello, everybody. What do you say on Wednesday, November 7? Good to see you today. I know we didn't win everything. There were some big disappointments. It was overall, though, really good news. We put the great big first great big roadblock in the way of Donald Trump and his agenda and his policies and giving Democrats the powers of subpoena, the powers of investigation, the powers of oversight committees, which you know they will exercise. And Donald Trump, you might as well mail in those tax returns today, baby, because we're going to get them sooner or later. Hey, hello, everybody. It's the Bill Press Show, Wednesday, November 7. So good to see you today. So good to join you. I know we're all tired. We're all up until the wee hours of the morning uh, waiting for those last returns to come in from California and Hawaii and Alaska. But that just means we got all the more to uh, talk about today. Great to be with you and great to join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. 
Great to see you on the radio statewide in Indiana. Oh, what a big disappointment in Indiana. Sad, sad, sad. Um, On Indiana Talks, we're statewide in Indiana. And out in the greater Chicago area, Chicago, big night last night with a great big new Democratic governor, J.B. Pritzker, for the state of Illinois. Part of the blue wall we've seen among governors in the Midwest, which is another big bit of good news for uh, Democrats And so we join you in Chicago, in the greater Chicago area on WCPT, as we reach out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day. Chris Catalago, who covers the White House for Politico, will be along uh, as our first guest today. He, of course, will tell us, even before I went to bed last night, Donald Trump was uh, tweeting about what a great, huge victory this is for him, because, of course, the election was all about him. Uh, and uh, uh, and then we're going to hear from Adele Stan, who's a research director for a great organization called Right Wing Watch, which keeps track of, uh, I mean, some very scary efforts on the part of people who used to be maybe hidden under a rock, but under Donald Trump have come forward with a pretty radical uh, political agenda of their own. Uh, and then uh, the uh, hard-working great chair of the Democratic National Committee, Tom Perez, uh, who has been nonstop for the last two years to pull off what we saw last night, uh, was on the road uh, until late yesterday. Uh, Tom Perez, the chairman of the De- Democratic National Committee, uh, will be in to give us his assessment of uh, how Democrats did yesterday and where we go from here. But uh, let's just say, look, the theme of this program is Yeah, it was not all good news last night, but it was full of good news for Democrats. Don't let, I've already heard, of course, the right-wingers, Republicans are putting out, this is their spin this morning. Oh, no big deal. You know, everybody knew Democrats were going to take the House, so, you know, that was just taken for granted. But they got clobbered in the Senate. This is a big night for Donald Trump. This is all a great big win for Donald Trump. Uh, that's, That's what they're trying to put out there. Don't you believe it. Don't believe it. Don't fall into that trap, Democrats. No whining this morning. Taking back the House is huge. It's the last thing Republicans wanted. It's the last thing Donald Trump wanted. It changes the entire political equation of this country from now on. It's not going to be uh, just everything goes for Donald Trump. Anything he wants, nobody's going to get in the way because he's got the House, he's got the Senate, he's got all the governorships. Nobody's going to stand up to him. That's not the case anymore. No, as of whenever it is, January 5th or 6th, whenever they're sworn in, Democrats will hold the committee chairs, chairmanships. Democrats will set the agenda. Democrats can block any legislation, uh, bad legislation that comes out of the Senate and, and, and prevent it from getting to the to the uh, to the president's desk. Uh, Democrats can exercise and will exercise something Republicans have never done: their oversight responsibilities. Yeah, let's have some oversight, for example, into whether or not it's appropriate for the president to send fifteen thousand American troops to the southern border of the United States to put up barbed wire. Is this really why we uh, put so much more money into the Pentagon budget? Is this worth spending $200 million of Pentagon money, taxpayer dollars? 
there might be some oversight hearings into a guy like Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke and all the ethical problems he's got. There might be some uh, oversight investigation into the Trump International Hotel. And uh, as uh, Tom Steyer uh, pointed out to us yesterday, and Donald Trump breaking the law every single day with every foreign dollar or every dollar that goes into that hotel right down here on Pennsylvania Avenue. And part of that goes into his pocket. Uh, So all kinds of, you're going to see oversight investigations, um, subpoenas issued to the president, for example. We'd like to take a look at those tax returns. Yep, Democrats can get them now through their subpoena powers. And, of course, ultimately, you might even see uh, the House begin impeachment hearings uh, against the president of the United States. Won't be automatic, uh, but as the case builds... Um, you can bet that you 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 can ex- expect that expect that. Uh, the other thing is, and very very important. Now Robert Mueller's got protection, right? That's extremely important because you know Donald Trump would like to fire him, and you know Republicans in the Senate would like to fire him. There's at least one House of Congress right now that's going to prevent can prevent that from happening. Uh, so. Don't don't let anybody mislead you that that is this is not this is not good news. Yes, what we saw yesterday, uh, taking back the house, is more important than anything else. Yeah, um, admit it. Uh, let's all admit it. We were extremely disappointed, particularly with some of our ro- ro- coming rock stars that we were so excited about. Huge disappointment in Florida. I mean, I think number one for me was uh, Andrew Gillum not making it. Uh, for governor, what a tremendous candidate, what a great showing. Uh, it was really a chance, I thought, for Florida to show that they uh, are uh, really part of the 21st century and not the 20th century. Uh, they failed the test. That's so sad and so sad that at this point, um, the governorship of Georgia is not decided, although uh, it doesn't look so great for Stacey Abrams. She's about 100,000 votes behind, uh, still refuses to concede. There are a lot of absentee ballots to be counted. Let's hope that goes her way, but Disappointed not to see that happen last night. And, of course, uh, our, our buddy, haven't even met him, but love him, Beto O'Rourke, raised over $70 million and not $1 from PAC money. That money came from people all over the country who were just de- excited about his candidacy. Uh, that was a big disappointment. And, you know, for me, the biggest disappointment of all was we still got Mitch McConnell. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's a bummer. He, he's the worst. He is worse, and he'll still be the Republican leader, and we're still going to have to put up with his nonsense. Look, right? you know, I mean, lo- but, looking back on the races that you just mentioned, those were serious uphill battles. Every single one of them. And it's also— and we all got excited about them, but they were— Sure. I mean, they were exciting races. But, yeah. you know, this was the first time that you saw Democrats really push— in those states for those offices, right? I mean, in a long time, I should say. What you can't really diminish is that the idea that we even had a shot in Texas yeah. is remarkable. It's crazy. And by the way, the idea that we even had a shot in Florida at the governorship after the way Florida's been gone since 2000, right, yeah. was really uh, – and and the same thing in Georgia. So they were um, – yeah, we had we, – we, we, maybe our expect, expectations were too high. I don't they would have been so, great. They would have been they great They would have been absolutely great. But but here's some good news we can really celebrate. Okay, those those – yeah, those things were – you know, there's some disappointments. Let me tell you, 
in no particular order. Jackie Rosen won in Nevada. That's a huge pickup. Dean Heller, out. Jackie Rosen, in. She's a great candidate. She'll be a great senator from Nevada. And that keeps Democrats in play in the Senate, at least. Here's another one. Again, no particular order. Scott Walker is out in Wisconsin. Hell, it's about time. I'm pretty oh, happy about that one. I'm very happy about that. Uh, Tony Evers beating Scott Walker. Uh, good, solid uh, Democrat, the education secretary for the state. Uh, and Wisconsin, uh, part of the new blue wall uh, in the Midwest. Uh, yeah, how about this one? Great news. In Kansas, of all places, in Kansas, Chris Kobach down. The Secretary of State defeated Donald Trump's phony voter fraud czar out of office, Laura Kelly, the new governor of Kansas. That is huge. I mentioned this blue wall in the Midwest uh, built. That's gone up so important. Michigan, new Democratic governor of Michigan. Pennsylvania, uh, Democratic governor, and three picking up three. So Pennsylvania came back picking up three, flipping three congressional seats in Pennsylvania. Wisconsin, just mentioned, uh, Scott Walker is out. That's that, that blue wall in Pennsylvania. Plus, you can add Illinois to that. That's going to be extremely important uh, in counting up the electoral votes for 2020. Remember, that's the area where Hillary lost. That's the area where Democrats did very, very well last night. Another bit of good news, Pete Sessions. One of the worst and one of the racist uh, members of the uh, of the Republican members of the House from Texas, he's gone. Don't have to put up with don't have to put up with him anymore at all. Uh, some big pickups in Virginia. Virginia, I don't know whether we can still call it a purple state anymore, right? I mean, first of all, Tim Kaine wasn't even. I wasn't. They called that race before. The <laughs> they called it before closed. nine before right. the polls closed, right? <laughs> right. But uh, just uh, outside of Washington, D.C., uh, Barbara Comstock, Comstock gone in Virginia 10. Uh, Jennifer Wexton picking up that. There were three seats in northern Virginia that were flipped from three. Slow down again. Make sure you get three Republican seats in northern Virginia. Republicans lost, flipped to Democrats. So Jennifer Wexton, Virginia 10. Uh, Abigail Spanberger who became a little rock star of her own because she was taking on David Bra Dave Bratt. Dave Bratt is a guy that knocked Eric Cantor out, uh, I think, four years ago. And uh, Abigail Spenberger won. Elaine Luria, L L L Luria uh, or Luria, I guess it is, uh, also won uh, that uh, third seat there in, in Virginia. Uh, big news. Governor Terry McAuliffe told us in our podcast last weekend, we pick up, three to five seats in Virginia, and he was right on the money. Uh, plus, very, very exciting, if you look um, at this incoming group of, uh, all part again of the good news as I see it, this incoming group of Democrats, there will be more than, there'll be over 100 women in the House of Representatives for the first time ever. And they will include, among the Democrats, the first Muslim women in the Congress, two of them, the first Native American women in Congress, two of them, the first African-American uh, representing uh, Massachusetts, Ayanna Presley, uh, and also the youngest, <coughs> pardon me, the youngest woman ever elected to Congress, maybe the youngest person, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is all of 29 years old. So 
There's some very, very bright spots. And overall, the biggest bright spot, of course, taking back the House of Representatives. Uh, so uh, let's uh, catch up with some of the people who were out there last night. Uh, Jackie, uh, Peter, if we can bounce around here, I guess, huh? Uh, maybe take a listen to some of the Senate uh, first. Uh, Jackie Rosen out in uh, Nevada, end of the road, but she is a happy camper. I don't have much voice left, but uh, hello, Nevada. <laughs> One race that has not been called yet uh, is Montana. Uh, our good friend, uh, John Tester, sadly we lost uh, Indiana, lost Claire McCaskill in Missouri. Um, of the other five seats, uh, Joe Manchin, big Easy, easy win for Joe Manchin. Very easy win. And by the way, Donald Trump went to West Virginia more often often than he went to any other state. He was really out to get two, Joe Manchin and John Tester particularly, right? Uh, He failed with Joe Manchin. Let's hope he fails with John Tester. John Tester feels that way. Here he is last. It hasn't been called yet, but um, here's John Tester. What are we going to do tomorrow? You're damn right we're going to celebrate! (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I absolutely love that. Uh, That was really, really, really... Really great. You know, on your point, because I know we got a ton of stuff to get through. Oh, on yeah, your, on your point about, you know, right. Donald Trump. Two hours. Yeah, we got, we got a ton of time. On your point about Donald Trump sort of picking fights with certain uh, uh, officials, yeah, right? Yeah. One that I particularly noticed, and I think a lot of people noticed, this has got to hurt for Trump, uh, Mark Sanford's old seat. Mark Sanford's old seat. Uh, Donald Trump went out of his way to uh, push for Katie Arrington the Republican who was challenging Sanford, and she won in her primary against Mark Sanford. She lost to a Democrat <laughs> in South Carolina last yeah, night. Yeah. And that was one that Donald Trump and Mike Pence put a lot of effort into. By the way, last time I checked, speaking of Montana, John Forte was losing. Did he lose? Let's find out. Because he's the guy that body slammed the reporter. Oh, Gianforte. Gianforte actually Gianforte. won. Yeah, he oh, won. No. He was down for a he while down. last night, but he ended Damn. up winning. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's too bad, right? Uh, in the Senate race is the one that, uh, again, a big disappointment, um, but uh, still a great, great guy. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's, <laughs> let's hear from Beto O'Rourke last night uh, with his crowd. He's still got faith in Texas. I'm as hopeful as I have ever been in my life and tonight's loss does nothing to diminish the way that I feel about Texas or this country and live on national television Beto drops the f-bomb when you're you know at the end of the campaign what the hell I want to thank this amazing campaign of people not a dime from a single pack all people all the time in every single part of texas all of you showing the country how you do this i'm so proud of you guys (laughs) (laughs) yeah let her rip man oh boy i'll tell you we haven't seen the last of beto o'rourke no 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 way no way uh in the governorships some very exciting ones a couple of big winners out on the West Coast, of course, Gavin Newsom, the new governor of California, no doubt about it. He won by 18 points over 
John Cox, who failed three times to win statewide in Illinois, and then decided, well, maybe I can make it in California. Hey, maybe he can lose four <laughs> times in California. Yeah, right. <laughs> Gavin Newsom. You stood for courage. Courage for a change. And now I can stand before you knowing I will have the incredible privilege of serving as your next governor. All right. Yes, indeed. And uh, Jared Paulus, a good friend of ours, been in studio with us here, a congressman uh, from openly gay congressman from Colorado, is the new governor of Colorado. Right here in Colorado, we proved that no barrier should stand in the way of pursuing our dreams. We proved that we're an inclusive state that values every contribution, regardless of someone's sexual orientation or gender identity. Think yeah. about this, right? The, the notorious cake baker lawsuit that went yeah. all the way to the Supreme yeah. Court right. about whether or not a cake baker could uh, be forced to bake a cake for a gay couple. That was in Colorado. So now that gay uh, or the bakery that wanted to discriminate against gay people now has a gay governor. Right. Yeah. I kind of love, love that. It. I love it. Yeah. By the way, speaking of that, uh, I texted just, uh, Jared last night right after he won and uh, telling him we we're all pulling for him. Nice. There is a speaking of of uh, LGBTQ issues. Eldwood Elwood Caudill Jr. won as clerk of Rowan County in Kentucky. Does that name ring a bell to you? It probably shouldn't. D- 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 that's where the woman refused to. Elwood Caudill Jr. walked in to try and get a marriage license oh, and, for him and, was and denied his, by and was that denied by Kim Davis. Kim Davis. Right, he ran her against her and he won. Oh, he that's beat great. Her that's great. Yeah. yeah. And out in Wisconsin, Scott Walker is gone. Tony Evers is in. Some people pronounce it Evers, not really sure. Uh, And, again, part of the new blue wall in the Midwest Democrats uh, successfully built last night. Better schools, better roads, more affordable health care. That includes protections for pre-existing conditions. And, uh, again, one of our big disappointments, uh, two of our big disappointments, in Georgia, Stacey Abrams uh, still not conceding. She's 100,000 votes behind, but there are tons of absentees that haven't yet been counted. Uh, and that's what she's she's counting on to turn it around. She's saying last night, I'm not going to not step in and I'm not conceding. We have proven this every single day, Georgia, with doors knocked, with calls made, with miles traveled, with prayers prayed to the highest heavens. And tonight we have closed the gap between yesterday and tomorrow. All right. Yes, indeed. Great candidate. Uh, and so keep our fingers crossed and keep those prayers going for, for her. And uh, right down in Florida then, it was Andrew Gillum who showed a lot of class last night. We were really pulling for him, and damn, he was ahead most of the, the night. This was the biggest for me. me. Me too. Me too. Absolutely. He's the, uh, And again, we haven't seen the last of... Uh, Andrew Gillum. Well, I hope not. But, yeah. Uh, and uh, so he had the great spirit last night, you know, get fall down and pick yourself up and keep moving on. Are we going to wake up and uh, bask in uh, 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 sorrow and defeat? Or are we going to get up and reassert ourselves to the mission at hand? Yeah. All right. That's the right spirit. A lot yeah. of work to do. I know, indeed. This was definitely a setback for him, but it's but, a lot, you, know. you know, there's so, 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 so such interesting things about this. I really do feel that um, 
I mean, we we were part of history last night. These are really histi- these are not just your average midterms, if you will. I mean, just the fact that 36 million people voted early in these midterms, uh, and the turnout was like incredible uh, across the country. In Texas, 4.8 million people voted early. 4.8 million. In 2014, last midterms, the entire vote in Texas, early and on election day, was 4.7 million. So more people voted early in Texas than voted all the way across the total vote uh, in 2014. And that was repeated in state after state after state. There was so much excitement. 93% of Americans Uh, in a poll that CBS did, said that these midterm elections were as important as any presidential election. So the turnout was incredible. And who turned out? This is also why this was a story. Midterm elections, at least this one, and hopefully going forward, are no longer uniquely the province of old white men, (laughs) pissed off old white men who turned out the vote. No. Uh-uh. That used to be the case, and that's why the midterms were always good for Republicans. Democrats, for the most part, stayed home. But the turnout this time, women, young people particularly, uh, the numbers of young people, like five times as many young people voted this time early as voted the last time. People of color, young people, women made up the majority, and suburban women in, in particular. Um, and, by the way, another reason these midterms are historic, they were a referendum. A lot of people deny this, but I've been telling you this for a long time. These midterm elections were, were a referendum on Donald Trump, no doubt about it. And you know who made it that way? Donald Trump made it that way. He made the election all about himself. He, actually, he put himself on the ballot, basically. He did. He actually said out in Arizona when he was campaigning for Martha McSally, a vote for Martha is a vote for me. Me. Me, me. As to the fact that this was the first time the American people had a chance in in two years to stand up and say thumbs up or thumbs down on how Donald Trump has taken this country, only 44% of Americans approve of the job that he's doing, and he was resoundingly rejected in House races, in many governors' races, and fortunately, unfortunately, not in all uh, the Senate races, and Final thing I think was historic about this, uh, the exit polls that I saw last night, both on CBS and NBC, the number one issue that people cared about was not the caravan. It was not immigration. Which, by the way, we're just going to completely forget about now. You will never hear about the caravan it's again. It's done. No, never. Uh, it was health care. Health care. 41% of people said they went out to vote for health care. Why? Because they want to keep... Obamacare, and they want to keep protection for pre-existing conditions. And so, for all those reasons, this is a big night last night. By the way, you talk about enthusiasm and all that. Like, I know this is not how we uh, elect our leaders, but it's worth pointing out, just like it's worth pointing out that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote in 2016. Democrats, when you look at the Senate, they, just the popular vote across the country, have a 12-point lead. They had a 12-point lead in popular vote. I know that yeah, I, I know I, that this is not yeah, how, it, how yeah. it works, but it's worth pointing out that maybe we should take a look at how skewed and crazy the system is when the Democrats pull in 12 
point, 12 more points than Republicans. I mean, Democrats voted 39,315,951 votes <laughs> for Senate. Republicans voted 30,910,654 uh, as of last night. So that's 9 million more votes across the country. For Dems. For right? Democrats, for Senate, and just in Senate races. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? The, that was true of the House the last time. Democrats got substantially more votes than Republicans did, but because of reapportionment, they didn't get. In fact, that's another point that we haven't made, is that Democrats won the House despite the fact yeah. that they're still running in the gerrymandered districts of um, of, 19, of 1980. So, uh, And you know one final point on the House, and then we'll take a quick break uh, and uh, uh, meet, meet our friend Chris Catalago from Politico. Um I think maybe Republicans are going to have to um, get a new strategy for House races, um, meaning they can no longer demonize Nancy Pelosi, right? Yeah. How'd that work? They've been doing it for six years, and this time they tried it again. Uh, guess who's going to be the next Speaker of the House of Representatives? She spoke last night in D.C., by the way. Tomorrow will be a new day in America. That I think for all of the hand wringing about who won and who lost, yeah. and there were some big losses for Democrats <laughs> and some big wins for Democrats. That's the that's the story. Yeah, it that is. That is the story. It is a new day for America. It's a new direction for America. It's a new beginning for America. Happy days are here again. <laughs> I wish they'd be even happier, but still, happy days here again. Chris Catalago covers the White House for Politico. How's Donald Trump taking the news? We'll find out next here on The Bill Press Show. Send your comments in on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. It is the morning after, and we were all up to the early hours of following the returns. Uh, let's talk about them right now. Hello, everybody. Welcome uh, to The Bill Press Show. As we join you all over this great land of ours, coast to coast, from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where it is a new day uh, with Democrats taking control, taking back control of the House of Representatives uh, and Republicans picking up a couple of seats in the Senate, divided government as we go forward, and uh, even more challenges for the Trump White House dealing with Congress. Chris Godlago covers the White House for Politico. Um, having been up all night, he is kind enough to come in and to join us before he goes home for a long nap. Hello, Chris. How <laughs> yeah, are you? I wish. How are you? Good. You wish you would, right? I, I wish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't we all? Uh, good to have you with us. And uh, we've uh, already been kind of taking one broad look at the uh, political landscape this morning with some comments from our viewers and listeners. Peter? Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. I'm just going to read a selection here because we asked you all, and you can weigh in on this if you follow us on Twitter at BP Show. Who was your favorite victory story from election night last night? Mm. Lots of people chiming in already. Uh, Carrie Adams says Pete Sessions going down. That is a big one. Uh, Matt says Jackie Rosen in Nevada. 
Also, yeah. uh, that's a big one for me. Totally. Uh, our friends uh, in Chicago uh, weighing in, WCPT, Bruce Rauner out in Illinois. J.B. Pritzker yes. is in. Yes, yes. Uh, that's for, we got uh, a couple of different comments about that. Also, someone mentioned Scott Walker losing in Wisconsin is a huge deal. Laura Kelly, governor in Kansas, beating Chris Kobach. That is gigantic. Also, Sharice Davids uh, won in Kansas's third congressional district. By the way, that was really, really big. Uh, she is um, Native American. Yep. Uh, but Kansas, again, Kansas came through with that uh, congressional seat and with a new Democratic governor. Yeah, absolutely. Lots and lots of comments on this. We want to get a lot more. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at BP Show. Chime in there. You know, another house race we didn't mention earlier is uh, Donna Shalala, who was HHS secretary uh, under uh, Bill Clinton. I traveled around the country with her, did a lot of forums on uh, on healthcare. Uh, and then she was uh, president of the University of Miami uh, in the interim, uh, running for Congress last night, and won. Uh, I think that is Ileana Ross Layton's district. Yes. I'm pretty sure uh, in 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 Miami. So good for Donna Shaleda coming back to Congressman uh, to Washington as a member of Congress. Uh, so Chris, I just noticed uh, my uh, tweet here, personal tweet yep. from Donald J. Trump. Uh, I will be doing a news conference at the White House at 11.30 a.m. Sorry, Mr. President, I'm going to be on BBC at that time. I Mm. can't join you. I'm sorry. Uh, To talk about the election returns, what's it going to say? What do you think? So going back to the last couple presidents, we had uh, George W. Bush, who said he took a thumping, was his... Was his way Wasn't of that Obama? It. No. No, Obama, it was a shellacking. That's I remember right. that. Yeah, yes. I remember that. Yes. It was a thump. Thumping and a shellacking. Okay. Donald Trump will not say anything close to either. No. I think we can we can very safely say, it based was... on what he said already, uh, that he is claiming complete and utter victory. Right. He won everything last night. It's a huge resounding victory for him. Right? And in some ways, that... It doesn't dictate, I mean, you know, we and many others will write stories about places where Republicans lost, but we'll write about the new world order in the House, um, which is going to create nightmares for the White House. But there's a certain amount of coverage that comes from a narrative set by the White House where if he doesn't accept loss... Or says we did much better historically. And there are some numbers that really back that up. I was looking before the story we did about the number of Senate pickups that sitting presidents have had in their midterms. It is very few over many, many, many years. That doesn't mm-hmm. generally happen. Usually it's a handful yeah. of seat loss. Yeah. Now, um, the House map looks much more like the average loss that a president experiences in no way a big victory but you look at some states where the president put a lot of political capital florida i I think of being one of them um, and there are some others uh, that will be important for 2020 will be important for his run and so i think that there's a he only needed a couple data points he only needed a couple points to make to say that he won he's got more than enough well uh there's certainly it's certainly true that in uh, certain states, you mentioned Florida, he certainly made a difference. I believe in um, Missouri, he certainly made a difference. Ohio um, governor's race. In Ohio governor's race. He did not, in, in the other places where he did not, 
Yes. Of course. Um, West Virginia, maybe most notably. Yes. Uh, he went to West Virginia more often than any other state. Joe Manchin is still coming up. You got to also think of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. That's a big one. He went Pennsylvania. there so many times. So, right. And Pennsylvania know. has come back. So uh, there, colonels, there are certainly places where he had an impact. I think without his being as energetic and as active as he was toward the end, mm-hmm. the outcome of several of these Senate races and maybe governor's races would have been different. So he, he had a positive, net positive impact on Republicans. At the same time, you can't take away from it. He lost the House. Yeah. I mean, Republicans lost the House. I mean, he can say it's a huge victory for across the board, boom, boom, boom. He cannot escape the fact that the House is in Democratic hands. And for the White House, that's a, that's going to make a huge impact, isn't it? We, we've been asking for a while. I've had colleagues ask, you know, I've asked, just to sort of get the gut reaction, whether it's from the president himself in some settings, but then also the staff. And there have been work behind the scenes for prep, but I still don't, I don't have a sense that he, that the president or the staff has really, really come to grips with what this is going to mean for the administration. Um, I know that they wanted to avoid it at all costs. I know that they, they say they did what they could in the House. We uh, can mention a few districts here and there where he may have gone in. Yeah. But for the most part, the suburbs where he where his brand uh, was seen as toxic, you know, you could you could count that as a, a, a mark on on him and um, uh, and and him being a drag in a lot of those races. But, you know, for the last two years, he's had a patsy in Paul Ryan who wouldn't buck him on anything and would do anything he wanted and wouldn't schedule votes on any bills that were not friendly to the you know the, I mean it's totally totally their poodle dog uh that that's going to be just the opposite now under republicans there were no oversight hearings you know they never used the subpoena powers i mean they just let everything kind of roll even if they didn't agree with it they're going to have an aggressive opposition force right now. They will. And what I would look for from Donald Trump, just based on the first couple of years, how he campaigned originally, how he campaigned in the midterms, the interesting thing with him is, and I don't know how much past presidents have done this, he's going to push back very, very hard um, on these committees, on these committee chair people. I think that that one thing the Democrats have to really think about, although I'm sure folks think that all of these investigations they're going to launch have merit. There's a question of the tax returns. That's going to be a big one. Is is Donald Trump going to release his tax returns? But I, uh, the part of me wonders, having watched Trump, is how much is he going to try to kind of flip this on its head and try to take advantage of? Uh, you'll remember uh, Daryl Issa stands out for me in recent years as as having investigations that I think largely backfired um, on him personally. You see what happened with his career, uh, but on the party as well. Um, so I wonder, uh, you know, how do Democrats handle this this power, and and how does Donald Trump try to use well, Nancy Pelosi as right. a foil? Well, my response to that would be yeah. to these Republicans: mm-hmm. Don't talk to me about overdoing investigations when you had 24 investigations on Hillary's emails. Yeah, no, 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 no. And, and I'm not even saying it from a Republican perspective. I'm just wondering. Yeah. I think that's the counter to that. But I, I think when you look at uh, you know, what happens with Russia? What happens now, um, you know, with well, this impeachment? I mean, we, we know folks like Tom Steyer have put 
tens of millions and have over six million people signed up. You know, are, are Democrats going to uh, come to the table on that question? Well, Tom Steyer sat in that very chair that you're sitting in uh, yesterday mm -hmm. uh, and said he thinks, obviously, that's his whole thing, yeah. that one of the first Democrats' first priorities should be to begin impeachment hearings. Uh, I can tell you, sitting in this chair today, that Nancy that is Nancy, not Nancy Pelosi's yeah. first priority. And they may get there eventually, but that's not what they're going to start. They're going to start with some legitimate oversight hearings. For example, yeah. is it the proper role of the military to be putting up barbed wire at the southern border of the United States against a invasion, right? I mean, that whole thing. I mean... Just, just you know, the president by executive order sending fifteen thousand troops under the cost of two hundred million dollars. What the hell? Now Paul Ryan would never do anything about that. You damn right, Democrats will look into it. Yeah, you have to wonder if if some of the people who voted yesterday were just sort of starved for some oversight, right? I think that that's not a a, a point that people make. They look at healthcare, look at individual issues that people vote for. But how much of them? How many of them just even maybe some people that like Donald Trump? How many of them wanted? someone to be overseeing things uh, there is a um there is a um theory uh, among a lot of americans which i don't subscribe to that divided government is good mm -hmm. and so some people do believe <laughs> you know that I, i've never been a member of that school <laughs> but let, let me just suggest um that there's another it's, so what you say i think is right donald trump peter baker has an excellent piece as he always does on the front page of the new york times today um, that partisan war, his take on it, partisan war awaits Donald Trump. That just might suit him because mm -hmm. he loves a fight. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. We know that. That's his style, right? There's another side of Donald Trump, which we might see too, which which I wouldn't be surprised. I'd love to get your take on this, that he just might end up making a lot of deals with Nancy Pelosi. That's true, and that's actually a big fear not so much – there are people in the administration who certainly fear that, but there are many Trump allies, confidants <laughs> outside the administration, people he talks to politically who I think could not imagine a worse scenario than him working with Democrats because their whole thing is fight, fight, fight. Right. And, and Exactly. Remember, he did make that famous deal with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi – right in front of Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell, and he heard both sides out, and he said, no, I'm going to go with Nancy Pelosi. shocked the hell out of the Republicans. So there's a little precedent there that if he sees uh, he can maneuver it to his advantage, he doesn't care. I, 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 fundamentally, I don't think he cares about these House or Senate Republicans. You know, he'd throw them under the bus in a second. The alliance with the Senate is maybe a little closer. You got the judges and also confirmation of yeah. his people. That's going to be there because there's going to be cabinet people that leave. And I, there'll be a, an element of that. But, but he also knows that Mitch McConnell's not going to stand up to him either. So he's got a patsy in Mitch McConnell, right? So he can almost. Republicans have largely not stood up to him. And the other thing that happened last night that is the the number of never Trumpers, way too strong for a member of the Senate, but the number of people who challenged Donald Trump. Uh, are gone, and the only person coming in, potentially very few people think that he will be a, a big challenge, is Mitt Romney. And so I think what you're saying is... You know, that's a good point. So Jeff Flake, 
to the extent that he was willing to stand up, which was half-ass at best. Bob Corker, same. They're gone. Among the other Republicans who are there now, who is the, maybe Susan Collins? But God, she's a weak read, right? And you have is there any other critic of Peter? Any other critic of Donald Trump among Republicans? Gardner from Colorado. If if anyone were to emerge, or some sort of yeah, maybe. But uh, you hardly ever hear from him. Yeah, that's yeah. I can't think Mitt of Romney. Else. Yeah, he gave that big speech during the campaign, but now he's a big Trumper. I mean, he's basically yeah. Mitt Romney's not going to be that much of a thorn in the side for Trump. Mm-mm. No, I don't think. I mean, I hope he surprises us. If he yeah. gave it, if he th- that same speech that he gave where he said. But Donald Trump's promises are, are 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 worth as much as a diploma from Trump University. Yeah, I mean, I he really came line. out guns he was, blazing. Yeah, yeah. He, he was asked like a couple of weeks ago on the campaign about being a never Trumper or something, and he was like, his answer was basically like, I don't remember ever being a never Trumper. Oh, so, oh, yeah. Oh, Mitch. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mitt. Rather, we could remind you. <laughs> uh, but I think your your point of the idea that he could cross the aisle and and make deals. I mean, this, for him, this is maybe sort of a challenge. No one thinks that he's been much of a deal maker so far as president. He would point to some, you know, some international deals and the the, the new trade deal with a new label. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's... No, what deal has he... He's undone a couple of deals, but what undone. deal, big deal has he made as president? Zip. No, none. Peter, I know you got a... No. Oh, yeah. Um, so... Uh, the, the whole it'd be interesting to see this news conference today um which we'll all get to see again it's 11:30 eastern uh to see that the, i i think we know that trump basically is going to gloat you know in his victory i think declared a resounding victory uh, overall and that you know he made like like you mentioned earlier in the show he made these this whole thing a, a referendum on himself and totally. so so to come out and say Anything other than this was a this was a big win is just not going to happen. Now I think it's it's up to everyone else to look at the reality. And we were talking about some of the races from last night that I think he has to be concerned about: Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin with Scott Walker. I mean, they went to Wisconsin fairly recently and did a whole thing with uh, Paul mm-hmm. Ryan and Reince Priebus and and right. Scott Walker and the Green Bay Packers jacket and and um, part of that was because Donald Trump knows that. Wisconsin has a very, very strong republic, state Republican Party, and because having an ally in the governor's office for a 2020 run is a is a big deal, just like he knew in Florida. So there are states where where um, you know putting Florida, Ohio aside, uh, that Republicans have to be concerned about Nevada, which was a Hillary state, but uh, that was somewhere he put a lot of stock mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, this is not any sort of complete and total. Win by any means. Uh, and one, one you, in talking about Wisconsin, and if you add them yeah. all up, I mean, uh, there is a, um, um, I hate to use the phrase, maybe blue wall, but if you look at Wisconsin, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Michigan, governorships there, I mean, again, this is the area where Donald Trump won and Hillary lost, made the difference in 2016. So that fact of getting those governorships back is very important looking forward to 2020. And Donald Trump's got to know that. Yeah, certainly that that's going to be huge, and I think he's th- those are areas he's going to focus on. Um, the thing I wonder for Democrats and people, you know, always talk about well, 
where are the Democrats? And there's so many candidates, and it's just this diffuse field that still has to gather. And so right now we're in this weird period where there isn't really someone to counter the president's grand narrative. I mean, individuals will go out there and say things, and there are yeah. party leaders and party chairs who will make their points. But, you know, I, I don't think we should we should go too far on any of these things. And, and come January, there will be many, many people, or January or later, or maybe even sooner, uh, who will be there to counter the president in addition to the House. And the, the whole the whole dynamic will be much different, and Donald Trump will be challenged on a more frequent basis. Now, moving forward uh, with uh, post-election, how much are we going to hear about the caravan from now on? Um, there are a few people who hope, and Stephen Miller's of the world, that we will hear a lot about it. I would not imagine we will hear about it anywhere near the level that we have heard about it over the last few weeks. It was raised to the level of, you know, top domestic slash international issue crisis issue uh yeah i mean that was uh i I think people essentially admitted that immigration was an issue that donald trump wanted to play off of and the caravan landed in his lap well it's interesting that he certainly by the way i i think we'll hear as much about the caravan moving forward as we have heard about uh jamal khashoggi in the last two weeks Mm -hmm. um meaning nothing uh, we we quickly forgot about him, and I think Donald Trump will forget about the caravan too. Um, and um, but we still have these troops. <laughs> we still have these troops uh, at at the border. Uh, and meanwhile, but the president is going off on the European junket next week, right? Yeah. So and and what's the latest on the meeting with Putin? Not going to happen. I. Uh... I don't know. I mean, I, I think there are other Going to France, focuses. I know, and I forget where else. But he was going to meet up with there are, supposedly somewhere. And he canceled some. I, I, I think the question now is how does he, you know, the, the bigger international question uh, seems to be China. They seem to really be looming in terms of he has the, the meeting still coming up with Xi. And and, and that pulls in North Korea and, and, and all the, you know, trade issues that he's brought up. So... The thought was that he was going to use this trip to uh, flee the country, essentially after a you right. know, yeah, after punishing after uh, his thumping, huh? <laughs> after after a bad election. So I don't know. Maybe he wants to stay now and 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 gloat longer. You know, maybe he thinks that this is a way to. Uh, if if it was up to him, he'd probably next week start the 2020 campaign rallies. There's well, like nothing that he. Well, well he just had 53 to. of them. <laughs> I mean, they're they, not going to stop. They were 2020 campaign rallies. You know they're not going to stop. The signs were for well, him. Also, not maybe, the not the Senate oh, candidate. The signs were Trump 2020. <laughs> but, Women for Trump. Yeah. Finish yeah. the wall. That's the best one. Finish, finish the wall. wall. Right. No, they were all Trump uh, Trump rallies. No doubt about it. And and the slogan was keep America great. Yeah. But maybe he wants to stay to do some house cleaning uh, yeah. among cabinet members or White House staffers. A lot of rumors about that. What do you hear? So, AG um, he's is gone, right? way up at the top of the list. That's just a matter of time. He's yeah. he's gone. He's got a speech. I don't know if it's today. I, I remember the email coming in. It might be today. Um, and I remember thinking, is this going to be Jeff Sessions's, you know, last swan song, huh? swan song, last speech as Attorney General? Um, 
But we have seen in the past, I mean, even when you know someone's gone, they've kind of twisted in the wind or yep, lingered. And maybe right. maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe the president just, I don't want to say hasn't gotten around to it, but, but, you know, maybe they just haven't gotten around to it. This Ryan Zinke thing, I think, is really... Yeah, is really yeah. going to surface, and, and Trump doesn't like when people get bad publicity. That's true. He, you know, he 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 likes Ryan Zinke a lot, um, but he likes know, Scott Pruitt a lot too. Exactly, and Scott he really gave has. a very similar answer uh, about um, him doing a good job. The focus is on the job that they're doing, yeah. not on these allegations that have come out. And so, you know, he 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 uses a central casting you know, which he likes to use about a, a figure in a certain mm. role, and that is that totally applies to Zinke. Right. Um, and so, I, you know, you got to watch for him. So, there, uh, you, believe it, that you can hear we're just out of time now. Yeah. But there will be some kind of, there will be a shakeup. I think we can expect that, right? We're not sure how Yeah, wide. there will be people who depart to the campaign. There will be staff-level people who leave, and then yeah. you've got people like... Uh, uh, Chris Nielsen, others in in mm-hmm. the department. If, if John Kelly were to go, so yeah, their their cabinet level shakeup is coming. All right, well let's get back to work. Thanks, Chris, so much for coming in today. Thanks a lot. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more of the Bill this Press Show. Is the Bill Press Show? Hey friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how: you can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. A big night and a good night for Democrats. Democrats take back control of the House of Representatives so far. 222 seats in the House. They needed 218. That's not enough of a margin, but there are 14 as we start the program today. 14 House state seats still undecided. The Democrats could pick up a good number of those. Hello, everybody, on that bit of good news, on that great, huge block of good news. We start off here, our second hour on this Wednesday, November 7. Good to have you with us. I know, I know, we're all dragging because mm, we were up a lot <laughs> later than we normally are uh, to watch the returns. And um, there was uh, certainly some bad news, uh, particularly on the Senate side a couple of those governorships as well. But overall, good news for the House to uh, put the first great big roadblock in the way of Donald Trump, the first big step toward our goal of Trump must go. Uh, Of course, the name of my most recent book. Uh, And giving Democrats the oversight authority, the um, subpoena authority, the investigative authority, they need to keep on top of Donald Trump and turn back some of his policies and executive actions and maybe even leading to impeachment hearings. So much going on today. 
the chair of the Democratic Party, Tom Perez. Uh, the man himself will be joining us here in studio just about a half an hour from now. Meanwhile, you and I, the news of the day, we're going to be joined by Adele Stan from the great organization Right Wing Watch. And we want to hear from you, your take on the high points of last night and the low points of last night, the bad news and the good news. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. So the American Academy of Pediatrics, back in 1998, they put out their... uh, discipline policy where they said spanking your kids can be very bad for kids, Mm. right? That's been sort of common knowledge now for about 20 years. Well, yesterday they actually updated their policy to say that the long-term effects of spanking your kids is actually far more harmful than originally thought. Even more harmful, huh? Even more harmful. Yeah, they they said that the long-term harm that could come from spanking your children can really seriously linger for a long, long time. It can include problems like aggression, brain changes, can lead to substance abuse, and suicidal suicidal behavior in adulthood. That is just some of the stuff that you are dealing with when you spank your kids. They said, of course, if you're not going to spank your kids, how do you punish your kids? They said putting their favorite toys away or reducing their screen time, which back in 1998 meant TV, now it means Absolutely. iPad, iPhones, yeah. things like that. Just get them away from the screen, and that sort of incentivizes them to behave better. Yeah. I so. can tell you from my own experience and my grandchildren, that's a fate worse than death. I'm telling you. Yeah, I'm telling you right now. I've, I've, I've seen the oh, worst fights that I've had yes, in my house yes. over the, the loss of screen right. time. Yes, absolutely. So, Bill, let's say you're getting on a plane. You're getting on a Delta airline plane. You're flying from Miami to Atlanta, and the flight before you had a... Horse on it. Not a horse. Not a horse, but a service animal, a a, uh, Uh comfort animal. A dog was on the flight before. You know, the dog did what dogs do. No, And a man got on the flight and stepped in it. Oh, no. Delta has apologized to the man. They said that they are offering him to clean his suit and his shoes, and they are... Comping his flight, they are giving him a voucher well, for. Where were the flight attendants? I mean, they must have, you know. Also, it smells right. I mean, they yeah. must have known it happened. And no cleanup. No cleanup. They, they had the crew come on. Oh God. Yeah, that, that, they, they said it was a. They they Delta said that it was a quick turnaround. They didn't get a chance to clean it as well as they would have liked. That seems like something you would clean up right away. And where was the doggy diaper? Yeah. Right. Right. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. And on a Wednesday, November 7, uh, Democrats, big smile on your faces today. Please, no whining, no grumbling. It was a big night to win the House of Representatives so far by a slim margin of just four seats. The latest count is 222 Democrats, 299 Republicans. With 14 seats yet undecided, Democrats needed, of course, 218 to take back control of the House. Uh, But that is huge. Don't let anybody tell you any differently. 
Donald Trump is going to uh, hold a news conference at uh, 1130 this morning. He just announced. He tweeted to me personally that he was going to do that. <laughs> uh, and um, he's going to claim total victory last night. That is another great big fat lie. Democrats won the House, Mr. President. Get your tax returns ready because we are coming after them. Speaking of Donald Trump, he just tweeted again. Oh, again? Because, uh, you know, a, a lot of talk oh, has been yes. focused on investigating the White House. Donald Trump just tweeted, quote, If the Democrats think they are going to waste taxpayer money investigating us at the House level, then we will likewise be forced to consider investigating them for all of the leaks of classified information and much else at the Senate level. Two can play that game. So he sounds scared. Uh, yeah, that is, uh, you know, talk about, <laughs> talk about trying to start a fight before, right? And also, uh, like, he's throwing senators into a personal fight now. Right. Yeah. Right. Which uh -huh. I, Republicans have given Donald Trump a lot of cover for a lot of things. Will they actually start playing politics on this front? I don't know. Uh, and by the way, apropos of our uh, last conversation, the last half hour, uh, where we were pointing out that no matter what Donald Trump says, it was not a huge, sweeping, un, uh, uh, you know, total victory for Donald Trump last night. He also tweeted, Peter, just uh, during the break, quote, to any of the pundits or talking heads that do not, I guess that includes Thank me, you. that do not give us proper credit for this great midterm election, just remember two words, fake news. Oh, of boy. I mean, so pointing out that Democrats won the House is fake news. No, it's not, Mr. President. Just get ready for the first subpoenas. Uh, oh, my. So much to talk about today. And um, But a lot of members of the uh, right wing are going to uh, gloat over this and say it just proves that they are, that the American people are with them. Uh, after all, don't think that's true. But let's find out about these extremist groups and uh, from someone whose job is to keep the, keep watch them for us, right? Maybe so we don't have to be bothered about it. The group is Right Wing Watch, and the research director Adele Stan joins us in studio. Hi, Adele. Nice to see you. Great to be with you, Bill. So tell us about Right Wing Watch. So Right Wing Watch is a project of People for the American Way. We're essentially a... Great organization. Yeah. Yep. Good friend of mine, Norman Lear, one of your founders. Yes, the founder, indeed. Guess, the founder, right? yes. Yeah. And uh, a particular interest of his was, I mean, he was very prescient, you know, seeing the rise of the right and having concerns about it. And Right Wing Watch is a project that tracks the right wing. Um, we uh, present clips of, of shows you would never watch. <laughs> <laughs> but you can see now, when you look at these very far-right figures, um, the things that they say, and you see it echoed by Trump, you see um, them echo Trump. And in fact, we have a video up on our Facebook page right now, if you go to Right Wing Watch, um, on right Facebook. Wing watch.org, right? That's the website, and yeah. then the Facebook page is just Right Wing Watch, and yeah. uh, we have a video up that shows sort of the interplay between things that Trump says, whether it's about the fake news, whether it's absurd claims about Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, um, all of the demonization of um, 
George Soros in in coded anti-Semitic language, and we show it coming out of Trump's mouth. We show it coming out of some far right figure's mouth. We show it coming out of Alex Jones's mouth. We show a the news clips on the pipe bombings, you know, the attempted pipe bombings. I mean, you can see how this stuff is having very real effect on our politics right now. And it's almost indistinguishable, the president's rhetoric, with some of these far-right figures. Now. Well, we saw that also with the Pittsburgh mass shooter who Indeed. came out and said uh, that he was so alarmed about the invasion. Yes. Right? I mean, who called... That was These Donald Trump. And labeled them as an invasion, right? And, and in fact, my colleague uh, at Right Wing Watch, Peter Montgomery, was covering uh, religious right election pegged events. They were doing a lot of praying um, <laughs> for the midterms that, you know, the, the, the Congress not fall into the hands of the demonic. Mm-hmm. They call them demoncrats and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And Michelle Bachman is a very big figure on that front. God, she is she still around? Oh, my goodness. Uh, she is so beloved by not just the religious right, but a particular branch of the religious right known as the dominionists because they believe that it is their job to kind of take dominion, uh, for God to take dominion through them in uh, public offices. So, yeah, she's a very big deal, and she was using that language. And there's a reason, I think, now this is my own thing, why Trump is using the language of invasion, of national emergency. Because there's, there's in, the, in the Constitution, uh, that is the uh, terms by which one may, uh, if you had the Congress in your pocket, which he thought he would, um, declare uh, martial law even. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why that language is so important to them. Right. That he, in fact, um, I think it was under that language that he sent troops to the border. Saying, Indeed. Uh, this is an emergency. It's a crisis or whatever. There is language in the Constitution that enables the president to take extraordinary measures yes. when there's a national crisis. And, of course, like the that. language does rile the base. And, you know, if you looked at um, Jonathan Carl's interview with the president, one thing that was kind of overlooked in all of the other craziness that came out of that was that uh, Carl says, well, you're sending these troops to the border, but they can't really arrest people. And Trump says, well, you know, uh, under a national emergency, that covers a lot of territory. Right, right. Yeah. And if they throw a rock, we consider we that can a weapon. We can shoot them, right. Yeah. I mean, he backed down from that, but the idea that he said it in the first place um, means to me that's what he really believes, and that's what he really thinks, right? Well, I, I, Bill, as, as you know, as a commentator... You know, you put something out there one time, you can pretend to walk it back. It's out there. Right. And that's... I mean, he certainly was speaking from the heart when he said, I mean, that's exactly what he believes the uh, troops ought to do. Yes, he does. And it also signals to his base that he's willing to do so and that he sees uh, this quote-unquote threat in the same terms that they do. Well, first of all, there's no... Well, maybe I should make this a question. But is, does this happen just accidentally with Donald Trump, or does he know what he's saying? I think he knows what he's saying. I mean, it's you know, there are many ways in which this president is kind of functionally illiterate in terms of uh, the Constitution mm-hmm. or or other issues. But he's not an idiot. He's not the idiot that you know some of us would like to believe he is. No, he has a formula that he knows works for him. So some of these phrases or words that he uses, he knows they're loaded. Of right? course he does. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Did it start with Charlottesville? 
the what did the 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 demonization of all kinds of people or well this idea that there are like the that there's some very fine people on both sides right. or they didn't outright condemn those who were chanting the Jews shall not replace us absolutely uh and on some of these anti-semitic websites they said hey look he didn't ch- he didn't condemn us. He didn't challenge us. Whoa, yippee, right? We got right. a president who recognizes that we have a proper playing a proper role or right? Indeed. And in fact, if you uh looked at the reaction from the right um at that time, the far right, the neo-Nazis, the white na- quote unquote white nationalists, which is just another word for white separatist supremacists, right? Um they were back chatting back channel saying, well, we know this is just a wink when he when he when mm-hmm. he when he said that it's a wink because he has to say, you know, something nice about the other side. But um, but yes, they really perceive that as license. And the other thing is he courted their support during the presidential campaign. He knew they had very evolved social networks. He knew that however extreme their rhetoric, it tapped into an undercurrent among certain segments of the population who themselves might not be marching through the streets with swastikas and Confederate battle flags. However, uh, that their sympathies lie in the same place. And um, have these people always been around? Or, but just sort of hiding under rocks until Donald Trump came along? Yes, the movements have always existed. Now, the Internet made Uh, a lot of organizing much more possible than they had before. So you have have some of the same leaders. I mean, you have people like David Duke still out there, for instance, who was in Charlottesville. I was in Charlottesville. I saw him there. Um, But they they are able to organize. You had sort of this confluence of things like the Internet and you had Steve Bannon understanding the uh, power of the Internet and building Breitbart News into, as he mm-hmm. called it, he told my friend Sarah Posner that he built the platform for the alt-right. That's now, what he called it. Yeah, yesterday he walked that, all that back. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he didn't exactly Two walk back. Two years later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and uh, so he understood that power. Trump understood that power, that once you could get these people moving in your direction, they have families who are not in in their groups. They mm-hmm. know people. They came from somewhere. They mm-hmm. came from, you know, communities where perhaps some of these views were tolerated, that it was going to work for him. When Donald Trump calls himself a nationalist. Oh, that's a come on. that's Um, a pretty loaded term absolutely and he knew exactly what he was signaling he knew exactly you know that (laughs) his his people would hear white nationalist and because that's what the uh, white supremacists of a certain ilk call themselves because they don't want to use the term because they do have some sense of public relations Mm -hmm. you know they don't want to use the term uh, white supremacists they want don't want to identify themselves necessarily as uh, as neo-nazi or neo-confederate but that's exactly what they are right Um, so in a sense, if these Trump organizations have always been there, is it true to think that, or have you, would you... Uh, or iterations of them. Sometimes the names change. Uh, uh, exactly, yeah. right. But that Donald Trump has given them almost a legitimacy, right, or has allowed them to come out and Without a, see themselves as part of the American 
dialogue. Absolutely, without a doubt. We saw that um, just a week or so after, the, maybe two weeks after the election, when the uh, uh, the white supremacist, uh, white separatist Richard Spencer had a, a press conference and a gathering um, right on Pennsylvania Avenue in the Ronald Reagan building. Um, and you know, he was, at, for a minute there, he was a big star. Charlottesville is what messed him up. Hmm. Um, and the um, the far right, uh, some of the more savvy leaders, especially those who were part of what was the alt-right, quote-unquote alt-right, you know, they were trying to rebrand themselves as a legitimate political force, uh, he knew, you know, he, he had this moment of stardom. He was good-looking, and he was going to become the big star of the right and rally these people. And had Charlottesville not gone the way it did, it could still be, he, he could... He could have been, you know, somebody who's popping up on Fox News. Uh, and despite the um, bombs directed, the first of the bombs directed at him, uh, Donald Trump continues to identify George Soros as the... Uh, oh, as what, the, everybody's favorite boogeyman on the right. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Guy is funding the caravan mm -hmm. and funding all these leftist organizations in Honduras, which are sending these people to the border full of criminals, terrorists, rapists, and... Absolutely. And, and <coughs> anonymous Middle Easterners, And, of course, of course he's a, quote-unquote, globalist, which is also, you know, code for Jew uh, in in this world, in the, in the far-right world. But this, you know, this meme, this theme has been around on the right for a while. I mean, we can go back, I don't know if it was even 10 years ago, that Glenn Beck, when he had his oh. primetime show yeah, yeah. on Fox News Channel... Uh, did a three-night series, a three-day series on George Soros, claiming he was, you know, uh, a, a neo, that he himself was a Nazi collaborator, and of course he's a Holocaust survivor, and all that kind of thing. So this has been kind of going around for a while on the right, to have the President of the United States amplifying what is clearly, you know, a... a, 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 a an attack with anti-Semitic uh, overtones, and um, at this point, pretty much, we all know what it means, so it's really yeah. more than a dog whistle. Right. Um, but to, to, to what extent is this working for Donald Trump? I mean, I believe that we just saw the most openly racist campaign... Unbelievable. ...that we've ever seen in this country. I mean, outright racist country built on... Again, the fear that he was trying to stoke up about this caravan, right? which is a loaded word in and of itself. In and of itself, that's right. And when the president's own people produce an ad that is so racist that not even Fox News will run it, and that... Pretty bad if Fox News won't run it. Yeah, and that that news organizations who are very loath to point the finger and say racist at anybody <sighs> are saying, oh, this ad is too racist for us to run. Right. So, yes, I do think, I think it, he is very base-oriented. He cannot brook any kind of dissent, right? So he's always going to be trying to build the base and appeal to the base and show strength. You know, he's very good at the dominance display. So if he can fill a stadium and make it look like, yeah, you yeah. know, this is happening all over the country when, in fact, it's these very select areas uh, of the country where he can fill a stadium. It looks like, oh, everybody in that state loves him, right? Everybody in that state is down with this kind of rhetoric. And the dominance display, I mean, I believe when he put those children in cages, 
that was a dominance display, not just for people who might want to migrate to the U.S., but for all of us, because if he would do that to babies, what would he do to the rest of us? Put us in cages. Yeah. So I really believe that Trump's whole thing can be really, his whole way of maneuvering can be shown by, uh, can be can be revealed by looking at these dominance displays. Where, one of the things that I find it hard to understand is the support uh, despite this, yeah. right, all this, and 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 Donald Trump really playing footsie with these e- extremist groups and these hateful-filled groups, how do you explain the fact that he has su- such support among evangelicals? Well, I think that comes down to the courts. It really comes down to the courts. Well, for one thing, it comes I mean, down to the courts. You would think that these are statements, these are practices, these are beliefs that evangelicals would say are... I mean, just fundamentally unchristian. Right. right. But when we use the word evangelicals, we're really talking about the religious right, right? We're talking about the white evangelicals of the religious right. Right. And if you look at that movement, it has always been a white patriarchy movement. That is really what it's about. The the interpretation of the Bible is uh, is very, of course, very very sexist. It, you know, they choose all of the <laughs> the ancient and very yeah. sexist. Uh, ways of talking about women and talking about marriage and talking about sexuality. But beyond that, you know, I was, I think, it, oh, it must have been oh, about uh, about a decade ago, I went to a religious right gathering in Florida at uh, the late D. James Kennedy's church. Um, and Tony Perkins got up oh, there. Oh, yeah. And Tony Perkins, we have to remember, actually bought, uh, when he was a political operative for Woody Jenkins in Louisiana, bought his mailing lists from David Duke. Um, He gave speeches to the Concerned Citizens Council, which was sort of an outgrowth of the KKK. And he gave this speech about um, a uh, biblical figure named um, Phineas. And Phineas was, his claim to fame was that he killed um, a couple um, of two different tribes that, you know, they, they, was a, they, they were forbidden by religious law to intermarry. Uh-huh. And he and Phineas came in there with his javelin and, and slayed them. So this was Tony Perkins' hero. Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at the ideology of these, you know, neo-Nazi, neo-Confederate groups, and you look at the ideology of folks on the religious right, it really always was a lot. When they say culture wars, what does culture mean? It means race. It, mm. <laughs> you know, it means race and racial mixing. Yeah. It means um, uh, misogyny, and it means homophobia. So, so there's a real link between these. And you say the evangelicals, I guess, which you, where you started with the courts, right? Well, the courts are extremely important right. to them. So right? for them, they'll sort of look the other way. Well, we s- about anything, yeah. right, as long as they get judges who will rule their way Indeed. on same-sex marriage or abortion or yep. whatever. Anything they want. And, you know, they do not like Mitch McConnell, the, the Senate majority leader. They really do not like him, but they welcomed him with open arms to the Values Voters Summit, which is their big Washington, D.C. pre-election gathering that happens every year. And McConnell laid out the strategy for them. He said, if you can win these midterm elections for us and let us keep the Senate for another two years, we are going to change the composition of the federal judiciary for a generation. 
And that's McConnell's goal. Yeah, And indeed. by the way, you know, thanks to Donald Trump, he's been pretty successful at it, right? Yeah, and, alas. Yeah. Uh, which is um, one of the big losses about last night, mm-hmm. of course, is uh, it's great having the House, but right. having the Senate would mean blocking the judges Indeed. and blocking perhaps, uh, God forbid, another Supreme Court appointment. Right. Who are the groups today that you think are the most dangerous or the most lethal or the ones that people ought to be aware of? And Well, I do think, um, you know, you can't write off the this, the, the more staid-looking groups like the Family Research Council. Uh. And the Family Research Council is now a Washington institution, has been around uh, quite a while, but is also designated as a as a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center really? because of its anti uh, LGBT um, Q mm. rhetoric. I didn't and realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and of course they're also who was their leader for so long? Do you remember the guy, little Gary guy? Bauer? Thank you. Yeah. No, President Bauer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's I remember right. when he ran for president. <laughs> Wasn't that was, special? That was really weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they still yeah. have him back to really spew really, really, really ugly stuff at their gatherings. You know, um, he was persona non grata for a while. I forget why he backed the wrong horse in a primary. I think um, and got pushed out. But uh, now they love him because he is just he just drips with contempt when he speaks. Family Research Council, really? Yes, yes, yes. A hate, hate, a group, hate group. A designated yeah. hate group. So they're very important to keep an eye on. Um, the American Family Association is yet another. Um, uh, and so these are the... I mean, when you think, you hear these names, and as much as I know about some, you don't think of them as hate groups, but... Well, that's because they, de- were, they did a great job, didn't they, yeah, uh, yeah. in no, framing I'm, themselves... Right religious. And because in America, we do really cherish uh, the freedoms of the First Amendment, um, the freedom to worship as we please, the freedom to worship without... I mean, the the shooter in uh, Pittsburgh, uh, one of the counts against him is preventing uh, people from exercising their First Amendment right to worship freely. Um, we cherish this. So that was a brilliant framing of really what is a collection of deep cultural resentments and hatreds. Uh, to put it, wrap it in a nice marshmallowy coating of uh, religion. And then there are these groups that a lot of the Republican candidates... Um, maybe don't openly endorse, but they speak at their... Uh, oh, like the David Horowitz events yeah, at uh, Ron yeah, DeSantis, yeah. who unfortunately just won um, the gubernatorial right. race in Florida. I mean, that guy spoke at these at these uh, events convened by a really far-right figure named David Horowitz, um, who actually years and years and years and years ago in the in the 1960s was a, was a radical leftist. Yeah, but now he convenes every year um, a gathering, uh, and and attracts. I mean, he had you know Ron DeSantis is on the same stage as um, Jack. Po- uh, uh, how do you say his name? Pozebek, who uh, was one of the Pizzagate conspiracy theorists. Um, <laughs> I believe Laura Loomer, who is a, an Islamophobe, was there. I mean, I, I, I it, and and it didn't. I mean, he's now going to be the governor of one of the largest states in the nation, Rick, uh, Ron DeSantis. Yeah, people don't realize maybe the links to these groups, right? No. So I guess that's 
part of the job of Right Wing Watch. It right? is, because they um, often have innocuous sounding names, you know, and they convene things called like, you know, a Renaissance weekend or, you know, uh, time for renewal or things like that, right? So uh, it is it is important to have some sense of who they are, and you can go to rightwingwatch.org to find out. All right. That's the most important thing, Right Wing it's hard to say. I know it's really it doesn't together. it doesn't really roll off the tongue, but right wing, wing watch dot org. Yes. Slow down, say it, and go there to the site and follow uh, the good work of uh, Right Wing Watch with Adele Stan and uh, all of our good friends over there uh, at Right Wing Watch and um, People for the American Way. Please, yes, yeah, which is still going strong as well. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Adele, for coming in. Thanks for all the good work you're doing. Well, thank you so much. Great to be with you, Bill. Big day. Uh, he's been up all night, I think. The chairman of the Democratic National Committee uh, led the fight and gets a lot of credit for winning back the House last night. Tom Perez joining us in the next half hour with all of you. So stay tuned. Uh, send us again your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Quick break, and we'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. How about it? Wednesday, November 7, huge, big, good news. Democrats taking back control of the House of Representatives. Hello, everybody. It is a reason to put a big smile on and to celebrate today, indeed. Uh, Plus, while we didn't win everything, some big wins among governorships and Senate races as well, and House races uh, across the land. This is the morning after here, the Bill Press Show, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., as always, and brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, the one and only Leo Girard. They were out there working hard in these midterm elections. United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Uh, Check out their website at usw.org. Uh, well, um, with good news and a big win, there's uh, lots of credit to go around, but a lot of the credit belongs to the DNC, its leadership in uh, many races for state legislative seats, governor's races, uh, congressional races, Senate races across the country under the leadership of the man who never sleeps, just keeps working hard, <laughs> uh, Chairman Tom Perez. He was on media all last night, and he's been at it again this morning and stops by here at the Bill Press Show in studio. Mr. Chairman, it's great to see you. It's always great to be with you and your listeners, Bill. Thank you. Congratulations. What's your overall take last night? The president is holding a news conference at 1130 today. He's already tweeting out that anybody who says, like me, that this was not a complete victory for Donald Trump is guilty of spreading fake news. Well, the... We would always expect that from Donald Trump because he's been lying since uh, day one, actually before day one. How many people were at the uh, inauguration? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, I mean, here's here's the deal, and I think it's important for our listeners to have historical perspective on everything. You know, we we flipped the House of Representatives, and in so doing, it was the year of the woman. Uh, two Native American women, and uh, they are spectacular. Flipped seven governorships from red to blue. Mm, This hasn't happened in one cycle by either party in roughly a quarter century. Four of the seven are are women. Uh, We we really did a lot of good work to fortify the industrial Midwest with uh, Tony Evers in Wisconsin. I was there Monday in Milwaukee all day. That is an exciting one. Obviously, Illinois, Michigan with... 
Tom Wolf winning in Pennsylvania. I mean, you you Kansas. have a you have a, that. I mean, what's the matter with Kansas? Kansas is electing Democrats. That's what's going on, folks. And uh, not only Laura Kelly is your governor, but again, we won uh, a congressional seat in in Kansas. And then it, it keeps going. We we uh, flipped six state legislative chambers. Uh, seven, oh, actually, really? if you yeah. count Washington State Senate last year. We broke supermajorities in four key state legislators, legislative chambers. Uh, North Carolina, to, just to give you one example, we, we worked hard to elect uh, Governor Cooper, a Democrat, but he was governing within a supermajority. He doesn't have to do that anymore. That's huge uh, for them out there. And to give, again, a final broader context one of the unfortunate legacies of the Obama era was we lost about a net loss of about 900 seats mm-hmm. in state legislatures. Right. With the special elections last year and then last night, we have won 333 back this cycle. So we Whoa. made tremendous progress. And that is a tribute to so many people who stepped up and ran. To tribute to the fact, Bill, that we're a 50-state party again, you look at some of those House races that we won. South Carolina yeah. Uh, Utah, yeah, right. uh, Oklahoma, it, it's pretty remarkable. And and one thing I've learned on this job, as much as anything, is we can compete in all 50 states. We saw that with Doug Jones last year. We saw it with these Oklahoma state legislative races that we helped to flip. We, we, we have to keep organizing everywhere. We will keep organizing everywhere. Right. Um, some disappointments, of course, um, but just to play as hard and, and compete as hard as we did, in Texas, absolutely well, disappointed in the outcome, but boy, um, it shows that Texas is coming back. Maybe absolutely. I mean, uh, am I, I? I'm a same I'm, with Florida. Hey, I'm competitive. Okay, let's be honest. Yeah, I want to win everything. Absolutely. Uh, am I, I? I spent Friday with the president down in Florida with Andrew Gillum. He's the real deal. I spent Saturday in Georgia. Uh, Stacey Abrams is a rock star. Uh, Beto O'Rourke had a 254-county strategy. And and I know I'm disappointed. I'm confident uh, our listeners this morning are disappointed. But as somebody who has spent the lion's share of my career doing civil rights work, I've spent a lot of time in the Deep South prosecuting police officers, prosecuting hate crimes cases. And frankly, I, I won my fair share and I lost my fair share. Civil rights is about persistence. We're far closer to the mountaintop in those states than we've ever been. I mean, we haven't won the governorship in Florida in a quarter century, and we continue to make progress. And I will tell you one thing we're going to do in Florida. There was a ballot initiative that passed there last Mm -hmm. night that will enable 1.5 million, let me underscore, 1.5 million Floridians who have a felony record to get their voting rights restored. The Florida, over half of the people in the United States who are permanently disenfranchised as a result of a felony conviction, live in one state, wow. Florida. Wow. That is, every one of these red states has their version of voter suppression. You, we saw what happened in Georgia. The fox was guarding the hen house in Brian Kemp. And we'll never know how many voters were uh, illegally deterred from running. In Florida, uh, the scourge of permanent disenfranchisement. Terry McAuliffe, if he were on this show, would talk about how one of his proudest moments in Virginia, and I think something like 60,000 newly re-enfranchised voters, as a result of Terry, voted in the 2017 election. It brought tears to my eyes as I was 
uh, out there in Virginia to see that happen. We're going to organize these communities in Florida. We're going to continue to do it. We didn't make it quite to the mountaintop, but in all three of these states, we're a lot closer. So civil rights is about persistence. Winning elections is about persistence. I think that uh, in Florida, it needed um, a two-thirds vote, too, uh, that initiative. It needed 60%, 60%, and it got over. It was a a solid bipartisan majority. This is an issue that actually brings together... faith leaders across an ideological spectrum. And and the coalition that was built there was a remarkably uh, diverse coalition. Right. Um, what is it? Kudos mean? to the ACLU, by the way. They really led the charge on that on down that. in Florida. Yeah, great, great. Very, very. And I hope uh, we can follow through with other states as well. As you said, in fact, Governor McAuliffe was on our program over the weekend as a podcast. We talked about that. And uh, it is a very proud moment for him and should be. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, by the way, Virginia picking up three seats in Virginia. Virginia, big, big time. I mean, it's it's interesting to look. I mean, I uh, you look at the 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 blue wall. There's actually blue walls across the country. We fortified a big part of the industrial Midwest with our victories yesterday. Tony Evers will be in a driver's seat for redistricting in Wisconsin, uh, Illinois. Uh, Tom Wolf. One and and you saw all those seats in Pennsylvania. Virginia yes. is trending blue, and then you have a a new blue wall emerging out in the Mountain West with Colorado, Jared with uh, New Mexico, yep. um, uh, with Lujan Nevada, uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham. I mean, we we see that Arizona <laughs> is trending purple. Uh, we don't know the results in that Senate race. We do know that we picked up a seat uh, in uh, the Tucson area in Pima County and, and, and thereabouts. And so you see this emergence of a series of blue walls. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll tell you, we're, I'm notwithstanding my disappointment in, in Florida and Georgia and Texas, one thing I am trying to do as DNC chair is we have to think long term. We can't pick up our marbles and go home when we lose one election one night. Beto O'Rourke was trying to do something that was nearly impossible because just to be blunt, we were not organizing in the exurban and rural parts of Texas. Yep, right. We weren't showing up in Midland, Odessa. We weren't showing up in Tyler, Texas. We were showing up in the urban areas. You have to show up everywhere, Bill. And that's what we have started doing. Did we get to the mountaintop now? No. Are we better off than we were 18 months ago? Heck yes. And that's what we're going to continue to do. Continue to be and every zip code party every year. So how, uh, I think, um, also speaking bluntly, that Democrats need a little help uh, today getting the message right uh, in terms of, I, I already heard yesterday people saying how disappointed they were in this election. I kept saying, no, no, no. The, folk, the good news is taking back the House. That is Huge. This how is impor- historic. How important this is, is historic. it to take back that? We have I mean, no oversight right now. I mean, look at this. There have been no guardrails. Do you remember when scandal in the Obama administration was when Barack Obama wore a tan suit? <laughs> I mean, that was all. That was the definition of scandal. I because think they had it, a couple of legislative hearings on congressional it, yeah, hearings probably. on that. Probably. Uh, yeah. Right. And, and, and I mean now. You, I mean, how many cabinet secretaries are going to get indicted or, or at least uh, convicted of some sort of uh, ethical wrongdoing, if not criminal wrongdoing? We need guardrails. We also, and, and don't underestimate this, I saw it firsthand when I was your labor secretary. The appropriations cycle is a critical moment when people who control the majorities 
have incredible power. Let me give you a very concrete example. There was this illegal effort by the Commerce Department to ask questions about citizenship yes. on the census. Yes. I know a little bit about that because his justification, which was, oh, we need this for Voting Rights Act purposes, that is ludicrous. It is, it is false. It's not wrong. It's false. And it's provably false. So what you do is you use the appropriation cycle to say, thou shall not include mm. questions on citizenship in the census. Uh, you use the appropriation cycle to make sure that you know, other wrongdoing is, is not taking place. We just got a lot of leverage yesterday, and that is critically important. And, and don't underestimate, again, the importance of the historic victories in these governor's races. I mean, we seven governor's seats. It's a quarter century since either party won that many governor's seats. And don't forget last year. You know, we picked up another one last year as well because we won both New Jersey and Virginia. Mm -hmm. Virginia was Democrat mm -hmm. Democrat, but New Jersey we sent Chris Christie right. uh, uh, packing. And this these are twelve year election cycles because again, Tony Evers and Gretchen mm -hmm. Whitmer and Janet Mills uh, and all right. the new governors are going to be in charge for redistricting. That's a big deal, right? And then the House also, I mean, you're talking about uh, the appropriations. And then the oversight, for example, a president sends 15,000 troops to the border, you know, by when executive order. When his defense order. department tells him not to. <laughs> defense, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, $200 million, uh, you, you can bet, right, that there'll be a yeah. hearing about what is this all about and is this an appropriate use of American military? No, absolutely. Uh, and, and that's why. And that's been lacking for the last two years. I mean, no oversight at all. I mean, it, it, I think what history is going to note is not only that this was the most dangerous president in American history. We, we've talked about that at great length, and you've written about it uh, very, very um, effectively. Thank you. But it, the appalling silence of the uh, Republican leadership is what will also be written about. I mean, the, there was a civil war for the soul of the Republican Party. It was actually like a – it felt like a seven-day war because – uh, it's over. It was over quickly. The party of Lincoln is dead. The party of Trump has replaced it. And the party of Trump, the rule of law has been replaced by the rule of Trump. We need guardrails. We need we need facts again. We need a commitment to science. And, and that's exactly what Democrats are going to do. And that's why I am so excited about having control of the House of Representatives. And I, I, I confess, Bill, I am equally excited about what happened in state houses and state legislatures because the mission of the DNC is to elect Democrats up and down the ticket. We today have more Democratic attorneys general than we had yesterday. And that is huge because right. this nation has learned firsthand in the world of Trump the importance of state attorneys general as a bulwark, as a check against uh, the overreach no, of this administration. They have emerged, uh, by their own both sides, as a real force, particularly because nothing's happening in Washington, so it goes Absolutely. to the state level and the attorney general, Javier Becerra in California, yeah. and now Alicia James in New York. Oh, uh, yeah, Tish James is going to be, uh, yeah, uh, she is going to uh, do a great job. Another one I need to uh, shout out because it was razor thin and I was out there last week. In Colorado, uh, Jared Polis was elected governor. Yes. We also elected... Uh, Democrat Attorney General and Secretary of State. Secretary of State hasn't happened in, I think it's 50 or 60 years. 
the AG candidate, a guy named Phil Weiser, spectacular uh, Democrat. And and if you have a if you have a, a Democratic governor, but uh, Jared has to deal with a Republican attorney general, they can thwart your agenda. Yeah. And by the way, there were three states, if my memory serves me, yesterday that passed through ballot initiative expansion of Medicaid. All. Uh, Nebraska. There were red states, uh, I believe. Yeah, there were yeah. red states. Nebraska, Idaho, and I, I confess I forgot the third state. But again, as we reflect, I think it's always so important to look at the broad context of what we've done. The American people in red states and blue states have sent a very clear message that the Affordable Care Act was a game changer. It's well, been a lifesaver. Don't mess with it. And if you're not going to implement it, we're going to take it right to the voters and do it for you. And now that Janet Mills is the governor of Maine, mm-hmm. that's going to be the first thing she does on day one is make sure that 40,000 Mainers can uh, finally get Medicaid expansion. Right. In fact, Peter, we got to check on some of those ballot initiatives. Maybe tomorrow just a whole uh, segment on those. But there are also several ballot measures uh, for medical marijuana in some states and recreational marijuana right. in, uh, I think, at least three other states, right? So It's uh, time to uh, acknowledge I mean, the obvious here, which is that we should legalize uh, marijuana. Uh, and it's, it's happening. I think if, if those three pass, it'll be up to 12 states and the District of Columbia, I believe. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about, which I th- I found so exciting about yesterday, is, uh, well, t- t- two things, actually. One is in on the issues. Now, I watched CBS and NBC News last night. In their exit polls, they found, just to picking up on what you just talked about, that, so Donald Trump's out talking about the caravan and about, you know, this threat to this country and got to send the troops and all that kind of stuff. The American people were concerned about health care. Health care was the number one issue last year. It's the number one issue this year. The reason they were changing the subject is because they read the same polling and they understood that health care and Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security were on people's minds. So going from trying to repeal Obamacare five times, which Mitch McConnell says we're still going to try to do, right? The American people are saying, no, it's been around now for five years or so, six years. We like it. We're, our families are benefiting from it right away. And by the way, don't you touch those that protection for pre-existing conditions. Absolutely. I, I found it remarkable. I was in Wisconsin the last day, and Scott Walker did it, but he wasn't the only one who did it, running ads, touting his support for, for Obamacare. He said the first thing he'd do <laughs> if elected president when he was running for president was repeal Obamacare. I mean, have yeah. you no shame? Do you think we don't do just a little bit of opposition research? I mean, <laughs> I, my high school uh, junior could uh, uncover what he has said. And, and they voted 60 times or whatever it was to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Right. There's no subtlety in their position on this. And there's no doubt about the fact that they're wrong and they were hiding from it. And um, and fortunately, the American people saw through it. And Donald Trump goes out there and says, we're going to protect pre-existing conditions when, as a, as a matter of fact, the Republican AGs, with the support of the Trump administration, are in court trying to take them away. In Texas. And they picked Texas because they want the case to go up through the Fifth Circuit, which is the most conservative circuit in America. That's why they filed the case involving um, the parents of Dreamers. That's why they filed all, all the work we did at the Labor Department to protect mm-hmm. overtime. Uh, everything we did they would, to protect the right to form a union. They would go to court down in Texas. They'd find a really conservative judge, and I regret to say that uh, some of yeah. our work uh, backslid under this administration. Elections have consequences. Yeah. Yesterday had a lot of consequences for the good yeah. for for Democrats. And what we have to do 
is uh, okay. Take a take a nap for a few days, uh, but we have to continue to engage. That's what we're doing. I said well, I said the most important day of this year was November sixth, and the second most important day is November the seventh. November seventh, yeah. Um, so the other thing that I find very exciting is the number of people who turned out yesterday between early voting. And yesterday, we, we broke, broke all the records for midterm elections, right? Absolutely. So, so my question to you as the chair of the DNC is, how do we keep that going, that interest, that energy, that determination, right, that every election is important? Uh, all politics Particularly among is, young people. All politics is personal. And what we need to do is continue to sustain these relationships. We, we can't simply engage young people in uh, the summer of 2020. We've got to continue to engage them now. We, we've we done a lot of things at the DNC, for instance, getting rid of superdelegates on the first ballot that are all designed to send a very clear message that we want the next president to be chosen by the grassroots, and we want to grow the party. We're, we're making the entire process more inclusive so that people see, wow, you know, the Democratic Party, I, I agree with them on the issues. I see what they're trying to do uh, mm-hmm. to uh, reform, and I support it. And I want to be part of it. And so that is why we're I'm, I'm just a, I'm a huge believer in that grassroots organizing. And that's why we have become a 50 state party again. And, and you look at the results yesterday, you see we can win everywhere because people in Kansas showed us that people in Oklahoma, people in South Carolina, uh, some big wins. And uh, and what I, I also I find so gratifying is that not only are more young people getting involved, but they're running for office. I mean, the candidates yep. that the, the the roster of candidates on the Democratic side for state legislative seats and for congressional seats in particular was incredibly impressive. Oh, absolutely, you know, so and, many women and so many people, women and, and, of color and young people. It was just across the board. You, you mentioned the two first Muslim Americans, the two first and, Native Americans members of Congress, and, women. And, and and it's not only here in Washington coming to Congress, but it really, as you correctly point out, in state houses uh, across this country. It, it inspires me. And, and for those who are disappointed because, you know, for instance, you know, we didn't make it to the mountaintop in the, those three races you mentioned, we have to understand, you know, don't, don't, don't disengage. Do exactly the opposite. Look at how close we came. It is incredible that Beto O'Rourke lost by a couple points in any in ordinary yeah. year in Texas. I mean, look at what's happened. Look look at the last few statewide races. Uh, Wendy Davis four years ago you know, and others. I mean, we candidates who worked hard, but I mean, it, it just wasn't close in the end. And Beto inspired people. Stacey Abrams inspires inspires people. It's not past tense. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Gillum, uh, the same. Well, it's not past tense for any of them. Absolutely. Andrew Gillum's 39 years old. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, these these folks, they're, they're I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a standard deviation or two from uh, the average age of those three folks. And, uh, and so the thing about it is you, you, this is you know, the, the there's a saying in the civil rights movement, you know, we fall down and we get up and we fall down and we get up stronger mm-hmm. and we move forward. Uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was first introduced in 1948. If people had given up wow. on that uh, yeah. because it was hard, uh, it wouldn't happen. And we can't give up on these things because they're hard. We've got to organize and redouble our organizing and then do it that much more.
So a lot of people I was watching last night uh, the, made the comment that, okay, today is the uh, is the, the midterm elections. Tomorrow, of course, starts the campaign for 2020. <laughs> um, when are the first debates in the Democratic primary going to happen? Well, we're putting that all together right now, and I hope uh, sometime before the end of the year we're going to roll out a schedule. We've been doing a lot of listening to uh, uh, various key stakeholders, and, and I said... Uh, before, and I said when I ran for this job, actually, that uh, I have two important roles as it relates to 2020. Number one, to make sure the process is fair to everybody, fair in fact, fair in perception. And we will do exactly that. The debate calendar uh, is going to be released long before we know exactly who most of the candidates are. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we have to make sure, and we've done the superdelegate reforms already. There's going to be more primaries and less caucuses as a result of reforms that we've taken. Right. And those states that are caucus states are going to have to ensure that if you're a shift worker, <laughs> you can vote. And you uh, promise a level playing field for all candidates. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we may have 15 candidates and 14 <laughs> of them aren't going to make it to the mountaintop. I want to make sure that every candidate and their supporters has a real sense that, you know what? My person got a fair shake. I think you're lucky if you only get 15. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. <laughs> the, you the way it's going. By the way, may I m- mention one other win? Uh, our good friend Keith Ellison won last night. By 14 points. I By talked to him at about points. 2 in the morning last night. Yeah, yeah. And very, so, pl- very uh, pleased to see very, that. Very, very convincing victory right. for the Attorney General. Walter Mondale was out there on the stump for him oh, the week before the election. The former Attorney General himself. Great job, Minnesota. Mr. Chairman. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. Have a great day, folks. See you tomorrow. This is the Bill Press Show.